Welcome to Near East PolicyCast. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. From oil deals with Iran to arms sales to Egypt to bombing runs over Syria, Russia has moved into the Middle East in a big way. What's behind this sudden burst of regional adventurism? And what does Moscow hope to achieve with its show of newfound strength? Well, there's nothing sudden about it, says Russia scholar Anna Borshevskaya, Ira Wiener Fellow at the Washington Institute. And Russia's Middle East meddling is a sign of weakness, not of strength. Russia is not a great power that it was during the Cold War, but the Middle East is fragile, and Russia doesn't need to do much to assert its influence and to gain a military foothold, particularly in the context of perceived Western retreat from the region. Today, we'll hear from Anna about Russia's Middle East policy, how it changes the regional calculus for America and for allies, and what Washington should do about Moscow's Middle East moves. After this. This is Kate Bauer, Senior Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Washington Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting the policies to secure them. Find all of our research and analysis at WashingtonInstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute. And now here is Anna Borshevskaya speaking in Washington on March 23rd, 2016, to mark the publication of her in-depth report, Russia in the Middle East, Motives, Consequences, and Prospects. Putin made a surprising announcement this week that he is withdrawing uh, the main parts um, of Russian forces from Syria. Of course, exactly what that is, uh, uh, we have yet to see. Um, uh, he did say that the naval facility in Tartus and the Khmeimim air airbase uh, will continue to operate. And um, in fact, just today, he also reminded us that he will continue, in fact, supporting Assad. Um, Putin declared that on the whole, Russia achieved its goals in Syria. What have been these goals? Um, Putin said that he was uh, there to defeat ISIS, but ISIS clearly is not defeated. Um, Where Putin can claim success is uh, helping Assad strengthen his position ahead of negotiations taking place this week uh, on Geneva. In fact, if anything, Assad's stronger position perhaps makes a peace settlement more difficult. But announcing a drawdown in this context gives Putin a greater role in the peace talks. It gives him, again, a seat at the table. Uh, He casts himself in the role of a peacemaker. Uh, Beyond Syria, uh, the largest Russian delegation in many years has visited Iraq um, just last month, uh, pledging to sell more weapons and pledging military aid. Iran has recently tested a series of ballistic missiles. The U.S. argues that these tests violate the recent nuclear agreement, but Putin is siding with Iran. Moscow's renewed discussion about weapons, uh, selling weapons to Iran uh, continues, um, and if the sale goes through, it would violate a U.N. arms embargo. Only Putin, I think, can say that fighter jets are defensive weapons. Um, Russia's standoff with Turkey continues uh, following the shootdown of Russian aircraft uh, that violated Turkish airspace. Um, and just this week, King Mohammed VI of Morocco also came to Moscow for a three-day visit. This was a first uh, such visit that he's made to Russia since 2002. So Russia's influence is clearly on the rise in the Middle East, uh, in Syria, but also uh, beyond. Um, and um, and, and has, how does my publication fit into this? Well, I, um, I wrote it to provide a context, uh, a context for Russia's current activities in the, in the Middle East to better understand how we arrived to this point. Because Putin charted Russia's return to the Middle East um, since, the, since the beginning of his rise to power in 2000, even though his intervention in Syria um, struck many by surprise. 
Uh, my main point is that Russia is not a great power that it was during the Cold War, but the Middle East is fragile, and Russia doesn't need to do much to assert its influence and to gain a military foothold, particularly in the context of perceived Western retreat from the region. Uh, Putin continually tests the West to, uh, to see what he can get away with, um, to divert attention from domestic problems, and again, to cast himself in this role of a great leader of Russia as, as a great power. Um, so the study is divided into two parts. First, it is Russia's domestic context. Um, I talk about uh, Putin's rise to power, um, his reaction to color revolutions in the former uh, Soviet space in the Arab Spring, because there was a lot of overlap. There were a lot of similar themes in terms of how Putin reacted to peaceful uh, uprisings in the post-Soviet space and also to the Arab Spring. Um, uh, and the, so this context is important in understanding Kremlin's thinking specifically about the Middle East. Uh, and the second part looks at Russia's relations primarily with four major Middle East allies, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, and Syria, and also includes a discussion of uh, Russia's relations with Jordan, uh, the GCC, Israel, uh, and Turkey. Historically, uh, the Kremlin uh, cared less about the Middle East than more of what it represented for, for the Kremlin, economic and political gain, opportunities to reduce Western influence, and create a perception of Russia as a great power. Uh, Tsarist Russia pursued this approach. Uh, its successor, the Soviet Union, um, uh, pursued this approach in uh, nearly 50 years that it was present in the Middle East when USSR supported uh, anti-Western actors uh, in the region. Uh, when the Soviet Union fell apart, um, under Boris Yeltsin's leadership, he was the first Russia democratically elected president, Russia briefly retreated from the region. Uh, uh, Yeltsin had an entirely different set of priorities uh, than that of the Soviet Union. But the decade over which he presided, the 1990s were turbulent, they were chaotic, um, uh, there was inflation, uh, war with Chechnya, and, uh, and so forth. And so Putin came to power in this context, and that, that decade is important to understand. Because in this context, Putin promised to bring stability, um, prosperity, and to restore Russia as a great power. So um, he, not only did he promise uh, to move, uh, not only did he chart, charter Russia's return to the Middle East, he also moved away from democracy. Uh, one of his first orders of business was to go after free press uh, and in instituting the so-called vertical of power. Uh, but in regard to this, he first took very small incremental steps, and it wasn't until about 2004 that he took on a much more active, aggressive posture. Um, a, a tragic event coincided Putin's rise to power, and um, uh, the theme of this event it remains relevant today. Um, in September 1999, there was a series of apartment bombings in Moscow and several other cities throughout the country um, that killed several hundred people. Putin was quick to blame Chechen terrorists and subsequently uh, campaigned uh, for his own presidency on the issue of uh, taking a strong stance against terrorism. His, his famous uh, slogan at the time was Machich Sartire, which literally means wipe them out in the outhouse in reference to terrorists. Um, so a strong stance against terrorism helped propel Putin into power in the first place, and uh, several other tragic major uh, terrorist incidents took place that further uh, uh, reinforced Putin's position, and you, you saw a more and more aggressive uh, uh, Putin emerging as a result. Uh, another theme in Putin's, uh, uh, with Putin from the very beginning has been uh, distrust and hostility to the West. Um, and again, be, this was a little bit subdued in the early on, but you could see it in early documents such as the National Security Concept that talked about 
about uh, NATO expansion uh, in negative terms, that threats of Russia, uh, fears that Russia is going to lose its unity. Uh, in fact, this fear uh, of Russia losing its unity, uh, Putin has reiterated many times. Uh, he lamented famously that the breakup of the Soviet Union was amongst the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. Uh, so uh, in this vein, Putin began advancing this narrative that uh, Western talk of democracy is uh, really just a smokescreen for regime change. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the protests of the post-Soviet space, the Arab Spring, this was all orchestrated by the West. He couldn't seem to fathom the idea that people could actually organize themselves uh, and seek to overthrow an authoritarian ruler, that this, he could only imagine this was imposed from above. And in the Middle East, he, he, Putin pursued uh, improved ties with both traditional friends and enemies alike. This was a very interesting policy. He, he wanted to be friends with everybody. Um, he sought to strengthen Russian position economic, uh, in the region primarily economically through trade, especially arms and energy trade. Uh, this policy included forgiveness of Syria's almost $13 billion debt, support of Iran's nuclear program, expanded bilateral relations with Turkey, Egypt, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. But politically, he also sought to reduce Western influence uh, in the region because for Putin, diplomacy is zero sum. Uh, the West loses, he wins. And a consistent pattern that emerged with Putin in this regard is that he stepped into vacuums whenever the West retreated. So for instance, he used the decline of U.S.-Egyptian relations to improve Russian-Egyptian ties. Uh, for all of Putin's talk about fighting terrorism, especially domestically, internationally there have been incidents where he was willing to work with Islamists. And of course, in Syria, uh, he took advantage of uh, the fact that the U.S. was not enforcing its own red lines and stepped in to push his own self-serving agenda. Um, the closeness of uh, Russia's Iranian ties uh, is unprecedented in terms of government-to-government -government relations. So the Russia-Iran alliance remains important to watch. Um, why does Putin want to do this? What's, what's behind this? Uh, Putin certainly wants to create an image of Russia as a great power, uh, more importantly of himself as a great leader. And he's doing this precisely because Russia in reality is a country on decline, thanks in many ways to Putin's own mismanagement of the economy, his own incompetence. So paradoxically, while Putin claims that the West is out to weaken Russia, it is the weaker Russia that is more dangerous to the West, because, uh, because the more problems Putin faces domestically, the more his regime needs to justify itself in a confrontation with the West. Essentially, he needs a confrontation to sustain himself. And he continues to test it to see what he can get away with um, and to see if there's any pushback. So um, in terms of looking ahead, I think um, much remains to be seen, in, especially in Syria. Many of these events have to play themselves out. But I think we can, expect, we can expect Putin, at least, to remain more of an obstacle to peace in the Middle East rather than a genuine partner. Um, Western analysts uh, like to point out that Putin's high approval ratings uh, signify that his regime is stable. I would say there's a little bit more to that that meets the eye. Uh, and ultimately, more than anything else, Putin cares about staying in power. So the Syria adventure has allowed him to divert the public's attention from domestic problems, just as Ukraine did prior to that. And in this context, Syria may not be the last gambit. <laughs> This has been Near East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers.